So everybody loves a good comeback, right? There are few things that inspire the human emotion or the human soul like a good comeback. Doesn't matter really what kind of area of life it takes place in. We all love a good comeback. There you go. Thank you. I forgot about the little waving stick thing. That's good. I'm like, do we have a problem? But that's good. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, wave your egg every time I say come back. Come back, come back, come back. All right, good. <laughs> Last week, uh, did anyone watch the Masters? What a comeback that was, right? <laughs> yeah, we do. Good job, Jen. Right? This glittering career in his early years. And then he runs into some addiction and some problems that leave him at the very bottom. Everybody said he's done. He's got nothing left. There's no more. His legacy was tarnished. But then last week, as a lot of his problems are in the rearview mirror, he made this incredible comeback. The sports world is full of comeback stories, right? And everybody loves a good comeback. There are lots of comeback stories in Hollywood and entertainment. This Friday, Tracy has bought uh, us tickets to go see the new Marvel movie, which for me is an expensive nap. <laughs> but Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, right? Started his career in the early 90s. He was killing it. He was winning at everything. And then he went off the rails, got into some things he shouldn't have done, got caught in all kinds of addictions, spent some time in jail. Everybody said he's over as an actor. But now look at him. Headlining one of the most successful franchise in the entertainment world. Everybody loves a good comeback. <laughs> yeah. All right. Is this working? Okay, good. I'm not sure it's working for me, but that's, that's good. <laughs> in the world of economics, we all like a good comeback, right? I was, reading, I was reading earlier this week about the state of Germany and Japan after World War II. Everything about those countries was demoralized. They'd done some really, really bad thing, and most people don't have too much sympathy for that. But their reputation was gone. Their economy was broke. Their people were depressed. But here we are a few decades later, Germany and Japan sit on the third and fourth list on the most prosperous nations in the world. It's quite a comeback. Everybody loves a comeback. <laughs> we see comebacks in sports. We see it in entertainment. We see it in the economy. We see it in politics. You know, Abraham Lincoln was quite literally one of the biggest losers that our country had ever seen. 
He failed at several businesses and they collapsed. He made a run for the Senate and lost. He made two runs for the House and he lost. He ran for VP and he lost. And then he made this comeback. And he became known as one of the greatest presidents that this country has ever known. Everybody loves a comeback. And there have been some incredible comebacks in all areas of life. But this is what I want to talk about today. There has not been one comeback in the whole of history that compares to this comeback that we celebrate today that Jesus made 2,000 years ago. He was dead and he was buried and everybody who knew him knew it was over. In fact, one of Jesus' closest followers knew it was over to the degree that he took his own life. His disciples, his closest friends, they saw Jesus hanging on the cross and no one survives the cross. They said, we're out of here. Everything about Jesus' life on that Good Friday was done. But then three days later, three days later, the greatest comeback Comeback is one of your words on the crossword, too, if you want to occupy yourself with that as well. (laughs) Three days later, the greatest comeback that this world has ever seen took place as a man who was dead became alive again. And as a people who didn't deserve any forgiveness received it. And as those who had committed horrible acts of hate were loved again. The story that I want to read to you today is all about that comeback. And I want to point out three things about comebacks. If you want to follow along and you have your Bible, the story is in John chapter 20. If you want to look it up on your phone and follow along there, you can. If you have the YouVersion app, there'll be some additional notes in that as well. John chapter 20, it was early on Sunday morning. It was the start of a new day, a new dawn, a new era. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. It says that when she got there, it was dark. And what John is talking about there is not just that the sun hadn't risen yet, but it was dark in every sense of the word. For Mary, for the disciples, for everybody who knew Jesus, this was a dark day. Physically, sure. Emotionally, spiritually, absolutely. It was a dark day. And we read in the first part of this story that there were three people who came back to the tomb. And the question I want to ask first of all today is why? Why did Mary and Peter and John come back to the tomb? You know, when we read 
that they were there to anoint the body and to put some perfume on it so it didn't smell so much as was the custom. But there were a lot of disciples and only two of them went back and, and Mary as well. Why did they do it? I think they went back because they wanted some kind of closure. They had received something from Jesus and they wanted to see if that thing that they had received was still valid even though they'd been hurt by the story of that week. Mary, Mary was, she was a lady with a lot of problems. She, she had some mental issues in her head. She had some spiritual issues in her heart. Some people say that she did some very, very bad things to make money. But when she met Jesus, she had been loved like she'd never been loved before. Jesus looked her in the eyes like she had never been looked in the eyes before. And said, Mary, you're someone special. You're someone of incredible worth. You matter. And Jesus dies. And Mary wonders, is, is this still true? She's going to the tomb for closure. In much the same way that many of us go to, to funerals or, or, or wakes or eulogies because it brings us closure Often what happens if we don't have a funeral, we, we've always got these questions. Have they, they really died? Have they really gone? It's so, so horrible. Mary was going to get some closure. That's why she went back. Simon was there as well. I think Simon came back to the tomb because, well, he, he had some business he needed to resolve as well. You see, he'd prided himself on being Jesus' best friend. Hey, wherever you go, Jesus, I'm there. Whatever you do, I'm there. I'm your man. But then when push comes to shove, at the worst time, as Jesus was heading to the cross, someone said, hey, do you know that guy? He said, no, not me. And he didn't just do it once or twice, but three times. And so Peter is carrying around all this guilt. And he's thinking, man, if this Jesus has died, Without me being forgiven, man, then my life is ruined. So, so as Mary goes back to know if love is still alive and healing is still alive, Simon goes back to, to, to see if forgiveness is still alive. And then there's this, this guy, John, the one who writes the letter. In the letter, John never refers to himself as John. He always talks about himself in the third person as the disciple that Jesus loved. And he does that because his relationship with Jesus was so close, it meant so much to him. And so I suspect that he's going back to the tomb to see if love is still alive. To, to see what's, what's going on with his friend. Is he someone who can, can still be loved? And so on that Easter morning, the three of them decided to come back to the tomb. And we read that when they got there, the stone was rolled away. It's almost like the stone, as well as been the, the cover to the grave, was the thing that was, was blocking their flow of what they needed, right? Mary needed healing, and it was blocked. Peter needed forgiveness, and it was blocked, 
John needed to know that he was loved and that love was blocked. But on that Easter Sunday, as they got there, that stone was rolled away. And perhaps early in the morning, they had these first inkling that healing could come to them again, that forgiveness was available again, that love was theirs again. First thing I want to let you know this Easter as we talk about comebacks is that there were some people who were hurt and who had done some wrong things, but they decided to come back to Jesus. Why does that matter to us? Because we are people who have hurt other people. We have done wrong things. We often are in need of forgiveness. We, we long for healing. We long to be loved. And we think we can't get it because the stone is there. But the good news is the stone has been rolled away, right? And no matter how much we've been hurt, no matter how much we need forgiving, no matter how uh, great or small we receive love, we can come back to God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's great, I love this. It throws me off my thought every time, but it's, uh, it's good. That's good. I'm glad she's a rule follower. That's good. We've talked about love. Love is another word on your sheet. Have I mentioned the word cross yet? Cross, huh? Mary, Simon, John. I think that's all I've covered so far. All right, the first thing I want to say is that no matter how frustrated you are at God, maybe you've been hurt by the church, maybe you wanted God to show up somewhere and he felt like he didn't, you can come back. These three disciples chose to come back. And they cut, thank you. <laughs> and they came back, and the stone is rolled away. Now we really get to see their personalities. Verse 3 Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. That's John's way of bragging and saying, I beat you. But uh, while he's showing off a little bit there, he also paints himself in a dark light where he says he was too scared to go in. Peter was there. Peter stooped and looked in. And he sees the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. What's happening here? Huh? The clothes that Jesus had been buried in were thrown on the floor. It didn't make much sense that they'd come back because they had all these questions and they came back expecting to have them answered in a certain way. But they got there and appeared in the tomb and nothing was normal. The clothes that Jesus had been buried in were just thrown on the floor, discarded. Why? Because Jesus didn't need them anymore. He didn't need any death cloth anymore. He didn't need a, a, a coffin or a casket. Last week, I had this uh, really cool experience of introducing uh, Mackenzie Milton. You know who he is? The, the UCF um, quarterback who broke his leg. 
to the guy, Mozzie Wilkins, who broke his leg and who'd received all kinds of death threats and, uh, and hate things be- because of it. And we were doing this reconciliation piece at the Better Man event, and uh, we had this little uh, dinner in the green room beforehand, and I got to introduce Mozzie to Mackenzie for the first time since this accident, and then we got to, to sit down and, and have, have a meal together for a few minutes before they went on stage. And I didn't have much to contribute to the conversation. I really don't understand football. I didn't tell them it was, it was, it was the wrong name, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I just listened. And Marzi said, well, tell me about your recovery. How's it going? And Mackenzie said, well, really, it's just about shedding pieces of equipment that I don't need anymore. So Marzi says, what do you mean? Says, well, at first, I had this big hook on the end of my leg that kept it suspended. And then my leg got a little bit better and didn't need the hook anymore. So then they gave me like this big kind of full leg body brace thing. Then I grew out of that and they gave me a a, a knee thing and a little walker and a wheelchair when I needed it. And then I, I healed out of that. He says, now I just get to wear this little brace for a few more months. And then hopefully soon I'll grow out of that as well. What I love about that story is Mackenzie was saying, I'm shedding all this stuff that I don't need anymore that was part of my past and was part of my pain. Jesus is doing the same thing with these grave clothes, right? Those grave clothes represented the worst day in human history, the most painful thing that anybody can go through. And he's saying, I don't need them anymore. They're gone. The disciples came back to Jesus with questions, but as they came back to Jesus, they started to realize that he was coming back, that he was making a comeback. Verse 7, it said, Then the disciples who had reached the tomb also went in, and he saw and believed. Peter goes in, and he just sees things. John goes in, and he sees and believes. You know, if we're going to fully follow Jesus, we need to not just believe, but we need to see as well. We don't need to just engage our heart. We need to engage our head as well, right? Some people just believe and and that's okay. Some people just see and they have an intellectual understanding of God. That's great too. But you put them together and something beautiful really happens. What did they see? They saw the linen cliff. What did they start to believe? Well, as the story tells it, you can almost see the pieces falling into place in their brain. Do do you remember, John, when, when he said that he'd die and three days later he'd rise again? Did he really say that? Is, is that what could be happening? Or, or maybe Peter says, um, you remember that passage in Isaiah where it says that the Son of God will come and will crucify him and then he'll come back. Do, do you think this could be it? And they're starting to experience this comeback. You know when you're at a sporting event and, and your team's down, but there's something happening in the crowd and you sense that the, the comeback is coming? That's what John, thank you, that's what John and Peter were experiencing now. Something is happening. This comeback is coming. It's getting louder and louder and louder. 
And they're trying to figure it out, and uh, they leave the tomb. They probably go to see their buddies, grab a big old fishing while they think about it, as guys do. But Mary's a little bit more thoughtful than that. It says in verse 11 that she was standing outside the tomb crying, and she was still mourning, and she wept. It says that she stooped and looked in. And she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where Jesus' body had been lying, lying. Cheerleading is one of your words, I believe, as well. Because these angels were kind of like cheerleaders, right? The, the, The comeback is on. All the pieces are coming together. And the crowd this day is the, the angels, right? And they're just turning up the volume. They're, they're raising the tempo because a comeback is on. The comeback is on. Mary and Peter and John came back. But when they came back, they started to see that the comeback was on. The angels were cheering. Mary steps outside and she hears this voice. It's the voice of Jesus, but she doesn't know it. She thinks it's the gardener. Dear woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken my Lord away, she replied. I don't know where they've put him. She's getting a little frustrated now. She's getting a little bit indignant. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus said. Just by the way, that's, unless you're Jesus, that's not a great question to ask a crying woman. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you looking for? Mary, in her grief and in her frustration, gets a little shirty with the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Then she hears the word that completes the comeback for her. And Jesus simply says, Mary. He calls her name. She recognizes it. She knows that the despair that she'd been feeling can melt away. She knows in this moment that she is loved again. She knows that the comeback is complete. They came back to the tomb and they saw a comeback. And with that comeback comes an invitation for everyone to come back to God. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. You know why Jesus said don't cling to her? Because she was clinging to him. And the thing I love about this is the first thing that she does is when she realizes that Jesus is coming back, she gives him a hug. She clings to him. They share this embrace. And the embrace is such a powerful symbol of what it means to have a new relationship with God. So many of us live like God is distant. But the picture that God provides for us of what a relationship with him looks like is an embrace. You remember the story of the prodigal son? 
This kid goes off, does all kinds of stupid things. He decides, I got to go home because I got nowhere else to go. And his dad's looking for him. And we don't know too much about that story other than the fact that as soon as they meet, they don't really share anything other than a big embrace. Because that picture of a father God embracing his children is a picture of the relationship that God wants. And so here's Mary and Jesus sharing an embrace because they came back to get their questions answered only to see that Jesus had come back. And as Jesus comes back, he invites everybody to come back to him. Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to my father, but go and tell my brothers what's happened. Part of what it means to come back to God means that we get to be called brothers and sisters. We get to be called children of God. What's so bizarre about this is the last thing that Jesus' friends were to him on the night he was betrayed were brothers. They all got scared and run away. If I was Jesus, I would have thought of all kinds of choice words to describe my friend who'd abandoned me in my hour of need. But Jesus doesn't go there. He says, I've come back. And I've come back. And they're my brothers. He says, go tell them. And go tell them that I'm ascending to my father and your father. I'm going to see my God and your God. You see what's happening here? There's a merger. There's a reunion taking place. My father is now your father. Because when we come back to God, that's what happens. Says he's my God and he's your God. We follow him together because there is no separation. There is no brokenness because we're together. The Easter story is all about comebacks. The disciples who with all their hurt and need for forgiveness and need for love came back to an empty tomb. When they got to the empty tomb, they saw that this Jesus that they followed, the Son of God, had made a comeback. And with his comeback, Jesus invites us to come back to him. That's the great and glorious story of the gospel. That in our hurt, our unforgiveness, our frustration, we come back to one who came back and invites us fully into his family. I don't know where you are today in your relationship with God. I don't know if you're a long way away or you feel like there's a huge, big, ugly stone in the way. But the good news of Easter is that because of what Jesus did, because of his comeback, you can come back too. That's the good news for us.